Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, I'm back. And this is Kyle Mack and the Combat Chronicles podcast. We had a break last week from regularly scheduled programming because I had that sprawling mess of a historical perspective episode to edit get the plugs in early for the patron it's over on there if you haven't signed up already please do and basically i just thought there wasn't too much interested to talk about i wasn't going to preview strickland versus hermanson more on that later but i was wrong there was something really interested to talk about and that was the rematch between alunga makabu and fabiso makunu now for me personally uh, their first fight is a, is a classic of the last era, uh, a two-way technical, which I've described before. And if you listened already to the historical perspective uh, uh, bonus episode over on the Patreon, there's that plug again. You might have noticed that I reeled off a huge list of names that were notable fighters at the cruiserweight division in the last sort of decade, essentially, uh, certainly over the last six, seven years. And Makabu and Makunu were, in my opinion, uh, second tier uh, of that bunch, but that's not because they're B-class fighters. I think they're absolutely brilliant fighters. It's just that that division was so stacked that they struggled to make a, their mark right at the top of it. Some of you might know Makabu from his fight with Tony Bellew, in which he dropped Bellew early but lost the fight. Just got overwhelmed. You got the greatest chin, Makabu, and probably if any of you have heard of Makunu, it's because he fought Alexander Usyk, which is was eventually overwhelmed in. He also fought Eddie Chambers as well. When Chambers thought he'd try and uh, win the battle of the bulge, go down the cruiserweight and win an easy title. He obviously wasn't much watching much tape at the time. Like a lot of boxing fans, didn't have a fucking clue what was going on at the lower weight class because it was absolutely stacked. And Makunu pretty much schooled him. For a bit of background, and it's required because the first fight is really important in terms of how we look at the second fight, but... At the time, there was a contingent of online boxing fans that were really, really hyped about the division and followed every single fight. I was one of those guys and I was really excited for the fight between Makunu and Makabu because basically what it was is you were getting all these kind of regional eliminators between all these guys that you thought uh, could potentially be the best cruiserweight in the world. And there were a cluster of them in a lot of different countries, some in Europe, some in Russia, some in Africa. Americans need not apply simply were not good enough at that point. There was no one around. And the Makabu Makunu fight was basically, right, the winner of this one, that's that's going to be the African representative. There'd been other guys, Juradolo, who's still around, 
who, who had some good wins and, and some bad ones. There was Zach McQuasa, who some of you might know from Glory Kickboxing. He actually beat Makunu. Um, absolutely battered him. He was one of the hardest punches at the time, Makasa, by the way. Um, but that was the thing. The division was stacked. You had technical fighters. You had boxer punches. You had these just crazy, scary bangers. Makasa being one of them. Kudry Ashoff from Russia, another one. You had top-notch amateurs. World amateur champions, Olympic gold medalists. You had fighters from Eastern Europe. You had fighters from all over Africa. And therefore, this fight was between Makunu, who was the South African, and Junior Makabu, Alunga Makabu, but you mainly know as Junior Makabu, who was from the Congo. And essentially, uh, I think. Makabu is one of the few fighters, I can't think off the top of my head, but he's one of the few fighters to go on to win a world title after losing his first fight by knockout. Interesting. This one was an eliminator, and for me it was one of the best fights of that cruiserweight era, and, and therefore because that division was the best of, of of that era, in my opinion, the most stacked division, it's one of the best fights of the era. It's a brilliant two-way technical fight, and a fight of two halves. And what's great about it is you see the excellence of Makunu, who's this kind of small and stout, uh, almost like a like a dwarf compared to most of the uh, cruiserweights of the time. It's kind of like a southpaw Floyd Mayweather type or a James Tony. What's really interesting about him is that he actually understands the process behind that shoulder roll style of defence. So many American upstarts around these sort of super featherweight or welterweight uh, divisions copy Floyd they don't know the process. They, they throw up the shoulder roll and try to get off the impression of good defence. Makunu actually knew what he was doing. He knew the process. He knew that when he threw one punch, where he'd need to be to avoid any potential counters. And because of that, he completely befuddled Makabu early and at some points was knocking him around, really, really badly hurting him, stinging him. But Makabu was no like himself. He actually fought a pretty wide variety of styles himself. Um, he beat Eric Fields, who's probably the best uh, American cruiserweight prospect a, a couple of years before this division really kicked off and a fight I was high on for so long. Um, really had some talent. And uh, yeah, so he beat Eric Fields. He beat uh, Dimitri Kucho, who's a really good sort of stand-up uh, Ukrainian sort of boxer-puncher type. They get really durable, fought a lot of the top guys. So yeah, good fighter. Danny Venter, who's one of the best South African journeymen at the time, also fought Usyk and many, many others. And then he'd been the first guy, I think since Bernard Hopkins back in the 90s, to stop Glenn Johnson. And don't get me wrong, Glenn Johnson was past his prime and more of a light heavyweight, uh, but still relatively impressive, given how durable he was. So we come to this Makunu Makabu fight, and, and Makunu's basically just schooling Makabu early. And Maccabi starts working his way into the fight from about the sixth round. He does some really interesting things. Uses throwaway punches to, to cut the distance. And he starts doubling up on his jab to set up the body shots downstairs. And when he's got the threat of the body shots downstairs working, he then uses then the whip overhands to the head. And what this basically does is, is renders Makudu's once impregnable defence untenable. The best way to deal with that shoulder or defence is, is a throwing combination and, and go upstairs, downstairs. 
once you could do that, you could start seeing it unravel at the seams. And that's basically what happened. What Maccabi was doing and, and stepping into these uh, body shot combinations and varying his work from upstairs to downstairs was forcing Makunu to fight at a pace that he didn't want to set himself. The commentators don't seem to really understand this. There's probably two rounds that Maccabi's doing really well in that they just don't give him any sort of credit in whatsoever. And by the time he's really got on top of Makunu, we seem to think that Makunu's just got tired. But he was tired, but there was a reason for that. And that was the work that Maccabi was doing. We come into, I think, the 11th round and, and Makunu's all over the place. And Maccabi, again, feints with his lead. They're two southpaws, so essentially close stance. Two southpaws, I should have mentioned that earlier. It's important for the dynamics of this fight. Maccabi feints with a jab and whips underneath an uppercut. And then whips an overhand right behind the ear and it's over. He could have given him a 30 count and Makunu wouldn't have wanted to get up. Brought about an end to just a truly incredible fight that, as I said earlier, all the Foramites were really excited for. So excited that we said, of course we'll be able to watch this fight. There's simply no way in the year of uh, 2015 that this fight will not be visible. It'll be easy to see. Someone will record it. It took months. It took months for us to see that fight. Maybe three months for us to see that fight. For whatever reason, someone didn't record it or someone didn't upload it, but I would have thought someone would have been on that. It was a really big fight. Maybe in... To, I mean, Twitter was big then, but Twitter's so ubiquitous now, I think that someone would get the, get the stream up on the night of the fight. We couldn't find one that night. We'd heard about the, the, the ebb and flow of the bout and how it had gone, and it sounded like an all-time classic. But what have they actually done since then? Well, Maccabi, as I said, alluded to earlier, went on to lose to Tony Bellew in, in a bit of a shootout. And then just kind of disappeared for a bit. Um, didn't really do too much. Had a couple of fights on, on the regional scene. Uh, fought all over the place, really, all over Africa, in Europe. And then had a bit of a classic against uh, Kudrashov, who I also mentioned earlier, which was a really great, great uh, war. And then beat Alexei Papin, who was, who was one of the better sort of Russian second-generation cruiserweight prospects, I would say. That's assuming that the great cruiserweight era that I spoke of was the first generation, which of course it wasn't. But if we're talking about the uh, that being ground zero for the first truly great 200-pound cruiserweight division, because let's not forget the division changed from 190 to 200. And I think the much-vaunted David Hay sort of, O'Neill, Bell, Mormek, Cunningham, Adamek era was good, but uh, top-heavy, not so great. It's okay, it's not a bad era. Uh, the Maccabi went on to beat uh, uh, Michael Sieslak, who's a, a Polish guy, really good fighter, I like him a lot. And then beat Duradola, I mentioned earlier. Wasn't looking too, too hot on that fight. And then we bring him onto the Machunu rematch, which is WBC title, which... Uh, he won by beating Kudryashov, which, as I say, the WBC was vacated when Usyk went up. So, obviously, he won all the bouts and moved up the heavyweight, and, and that bout became vacant. Speaking of Usyk, as I mentioned earlier, he just overwhelmed Bakunu. Uh, did a similar thing to Maccabi, but obviously, you know, much more, uh, with much more technical depth. Just overwhelmed Makunu's defensive radar, broke him down. Makunu had a couple of fights with Thomas Hushausen. 
sort of domestic rival. Good fighter though. Weird fights to watch because he's, he's a really, really tall cruiser. Uh, and Makudu's a really, really small one. He then beat the ghost of Dennis Lebedev, who was one of the greats of that great cruiserweight era. And then beat uh, Yevgeny Tushenko, a fight I haven't actually seen yet, funny enough, but um, <laughs> literal gold medalist and a fighter who, the reason I haven't really watched it, it just never really impressed me as a pro, um, Tushenko. Um, Ukudu beat him for the WBC silver, so essentially became the, the mandatory for the WBC. Um, pretty amazing win, and these guys have come full circle essentially they're coming off a series of quality wins over some quality fighters and they are essentially the last men standing um not in the division as a whole of course because uh you've got uh bradis is the the best cruiserweight in the world and there's a couple smattering of half decent fighters but it's, it's not the division that it was a couple of years back uh randomly they have this fight in ohio don king's promoting mccarvey was under his stable and the big narrative of the fight, unfortunately, is not the rematch, which has been, what, uh, well, nearly seven years in the making now, between Makabu and Makunu. First time it was a WBC eliminator. This time it's a WBC title fight. But it's the news that ostensibly a fight between Makabu and the probably best pound-for-pound fighter on the planet, Canelo Alvarez, it had already been agreed upon for May. It was somewhat announced at the WBC convention. I think they might have even faced off, but they certainly sat up there together. I'm pretty sure I heard WBC was going to change their cruise weight limit to 190 because they're doing this stupid bridgeweight shit. Uh, this fight was not a 190, the Makabu Makunu fight. It was still at the 200 pound limit. You're going to have literal split in the cruiserweight division if that does happen, where you've got WBA, WBO and IBF have got a £200 division and they've gone back to the old, and WBC are going back to the old 190, which is okay, whatever. Um, I prefer for all cruiserweight to be at 190, to be honest with you, um, or 195, and there to be uh, just more cruiserweight-sized guys, your Bradish, your Gassiev, your Usyk, up at heavyweight, I don't, I don't think they. I don't think. I think the days of the super heavyweights ruling are clearly uh, coming to an end, and the gap is, is is smaller than it was. Mainly because, as I said, those those early cruiserweight eras wasn't that bad. It wasn't that good. I think people always make the the case that cruiserweight struggle against heavyweights because cruiserweight hasn't been good. Cruiserweight has been bad for a very long time until recently. Someone like Makabu and Makunu, they're, they're not very big guys. They, they probably could make 190 and be really good at a uh, 190-pound division. I could see it. But essentially, Makunu called in his mandatory shot. They squeezed this in at the end of January. And it couldn't have gone worse for Makabu and Don King. Everything Makabu did well in the first fight, he didn't do well in this fight. And everything Makunu did badly in the first fight, i.e. shooting his load early and trying to get Makabu out of there, he reined in and pretty much boxed Makabu's head off for the majority of the fight. There, there, there were obviously bouts of, of competitiveness, but essentially, Makunu just completely outboxed Makabu. Makabu's feet were all over the place, his stance was wider, he was sloppier. 
he wasn't doubling up on the jab, wasn't fainting as much. The times he actually got in and dug to the body were few and far between. He was essentially headhunting against a guy he couldn't land on. It made for a somewhat uninspiring bout from a competitive standpoint. But Bakunu clearly won and uh, walked away with a WBC title. But of course he didn't because he was victim of an abject robbery. Because of course, I'm sure Don King would still be hoping that his man's about to get a Canelo payday. Which, if you look at the history of Don King as a promoter, means that he was about to get a payday and Maccabi was probably going to walk away with uh, UFC prelim money. But just a terrible, terrible decision. And quite frankly, the the weird decision I have it on it. Ohio just screams of some sort of money laundering thing. It's bizarre. And the commentary was horrific. Because again, you got the left hand. Uh, 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 Makabu has the right <laughs> He's got his... I'm screwed up the names already. That's all right. He's got... Makunu has... Makabu, very, very interesting. Scheduled for 12. The WBC Cruiserweight Championship is on the line. Junior Makabu defending his title against the challenge of Tabisu Manuchu. Junior Makabu... Trying to defend his title. And you can see Kumakuna strictly wants to counterpunch. He's been very effective with it over the last couple of rounds. Even after 12 rounds, they couldn't pronounce these guys' names properly. Look, as commentators, you've got to do some sort of research. I can kind of forgive Ray Mancini. He's a guy in his 60s who spent his life taking punches to the head. The other guy, no excuses. I mean, Makabu, Namuchu, Minuchu, or whatever it was. Um... I don't know what my Man C was trying to say at the end. Um, at one point, Man City said, I would have loved to have seen their first fight, but I didn't see the tape. But it's like, neither of these guys have clearly seen the first fight. Neither of them have done really any research on these guys. Don King obviously given these guys a gig just because he knows them. And it was just a shit show. Constantly saying how close it was. I wanted to do a, a, a super cut of how many times they said close, but it would have taken me hours to put it all together and just take my word for it. Watch the fight. You should watch both the fights anyway. I really do... I think it's interesting. Um, these are still two of the uh, premier cruiserweights around, um, and they've got had long and storied careers. And between them, have fought who's who of one of the great stacked divisions in, in modern boxing history. So you should watch it. You should get enraged by the decision. You should get enraged at how they seem desperate to push the point that somehow it's close. Um, because of course they must have known. Well, some sort of idea that Maccabi was getting this decision to preserve a Canelo fight, which now appears not be happening anyway because Jamal Charlo is probably going to get that fight. Not only was Makunu robbed of the WBC title in that fight and possibly a fight with Canelo Alvarez, which would have made him a whole lot of money, I think we, the boxing fans, would be robbed of a more interesting fight. Honestly. I thought Maccabi was an interesting fight, Canelo, because A, the size, B, the power, C, the fact that he's just well-proven against uh, a variety of different styles. But he's relatively slow of hand and foot, and you can counter him, you can get overhands off on him, and he's quite sort of upright and stiff to some extent. Makunu, this short, stout, faster of hand and foot, slick, 
Uh, good on the inside, good on the outside. A nice ramrod, lancing jab. It would have uh, Southport would have made a much more interesting fight with Canelo. Would have probably been another great two-way technical. Honestly, would have loved to have seen that fight. These guys are toiled against so many different monsters in this cruiserweight division. It would have been absolutely fine for Makuni to win this decision and and, and then get a third fight. Fuck the third fight. Makuni deserves a chance to win this title. He's done it fair and square. Other interesting things he did in this fight was not just being overly reliant on the shoulder roll. He was picking off shots with his gloves, was operating with a higher guard, especially as he as he got out of the pocket. Maccabi did some interesting things in this fight. There was one point where he got a single collar tight, pivoted out to his left and then fired a left hand on the break, which I thought was nice. The kind of work he should have been doing more of. But he couldn't do enough to stifle Makunu, couldn't do enough to consistently get his shots off. And quite frankly, I think I only gave him two or three rounds, and that might have been being generous. So a sour end to what was an interesting fight, and unfortunately a sour end to what's been a rivalry years in the making, and quite frankly, bad that this great cruiserweight era has been marred by the involvement of Don King, who in his 90s uh, appears to be sticking around like a bad smell. Which is a shame. What about him still prominent? Whenever I see Don King promoting a fight again, I go, what the fuck? How's that guy still around? It's crazy. Been around since I was a kid and since way before me. And yet, the fuck is still doing it? And mind if he's promoting fights. is when he's clearly fucking them up like he is with this one. A real, real shame. Hopefully now the fact that the Canelo fight seems to be off, or at least put on the back burner, they could do a third fight, but... I seriously doubt it if Don King's involved. Hopefully WBC will force uh, force uh, his hand, but I have not looked into if they've said anything about the decision or anything, but public sort of widespread outcry online. And uh, yeah, add me to that list. Disappointed. and um, But highly recommend you watch it. And as I say, if nothing else, maybe this will spur you on to watch their first fight, which I really do think was uh, somewhat of a modern classic. We're going to have a break now, then we're going to do some MMA talk. First, about a hot prospect the UFC apparently have signed, which I think is a really interesting one. They're going to touch on a couple of the interesting fights from the uh, Hermanson Strickland card, which there were not too many. And then we'll wrap it up. But first, got to get in and shoehorn in another ad for the Patreon. Combat Chronicles podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. So, MMA news now, and it appears that Shuto Flyweight Chap Tatsuro Taro is on his way to the UFC. Very intriguing prospect. 10 and 0 of 8 finishes, and got a lot to like about his game. Still relatively raw, um, stand up wise. Uh, but he's fought, you know, kind of decent range of, of Japanese opposition now. Probably the guy most people would have heard of would be uh, Yoshiro Maeda, who's been fighting for. Fucking God knows how long. I think he fought Hideo Takoro back in the day. So, yeah, he's been fighting for years and deep and dreaming and all sorts of promotions. So, uh, you know, just a journeyman, but someone people would know. 
he's he's fought in in Shuto in Valid Shuto Japan, and uh, basically he's just a, the number one Japanese male prospect right now. Uh, stylistically, you know, more of a grappler. Stand up wise, he's quite straight up and down, quite basic. Uh, mainly a low kicking game. That's his main style. Um, concerned about uh, calf kicks, which are generally naked. Uh, he does know what he's doing because he he favours either over a rear calf kick or, a, or or an inside low kick. And with the inside low kick, he tends to set it up with feints upstairs. So he got some sort of idea of a process for that part of his game. Uh, punching, still not quite there yet. Mainly straight punches. Uh, the odd flash of a counter punch. If he does hurt you with strikes, he's, he's all over you like a bad rash and, and relentlessly try to finish the fight. As a grappler, he does some nice things. Uh, takedowns aren't really quite there yet. I've seen a couple of different styles. Um, shooting in open space, running someone into against the cage, not something I'd really like to see, but he tries it. Off court kicks, he will try and get you down. Saw sort of one particularly interesting uh, sequence in the fight with uh, Roya Fukuda, where Goes for a takedown off the court kick, doesn't get it. Transitions to a body lock, doesn't get it. And eventually works his way into a trip from a body lock. So he has got some sort of versatility to his to his clinch game, or at least tries to demonstrate it. But it really is on the ground where, he, where he's at his best. In that fight, I just mentioned the Fukuda fight, he, he transitions to mount and immediately transitions to a triangle and gets a tap with some ease. So he's shown a variety of chokes, and uh, I think he's going to be an interesting prospect to the UFC. He's not ready to jump in with the top guys yet, but he's got a lot going for him, and there's some interesting things about him as a prospect coming out of Japan, which perhaps his predecessors didn't have. I still think back to Hatsuhiyoki coming over from Sengoku and failing miserably, when everything seemed to be... The stars seemed to align for him and, and coming into the UFC, and it all just went terribly wrong. Um... Not everyone would like to admit it now, but I have no shame. So I will admit that I thought Hioki was going to be the big challenger to Jose Aldo. I thought, this is the guy. This is the guy who's going to do it. Maybe just from my love for Japanese MMA. When you look back now, he didn't really have the process. Uh, he didn't really have that sort of game that would have challenged Aldo in any way, shape or form. He was a mid-tier fighter, really, when he came to the UFC. And the other fighters, such as... Kawajiri and Gomi that we always wanted to come over they came over too late at least with Tatsuro Tara neither of these things are true he's still young he's uh, born in the year 2000 so he's not even 23 yet he's 10 and 0 so he's still relatively early in his career has there been any crazy wars or anything like that and like all the guys I mentioned he's spent his whole career primarily fighting in a cage so there's no transition from ring to cage, which I think will benefit him. Flyweight isn't exactly stacked at the moment either. Although, unfortunately, there isn't too many fighters on the roster either out of that weight class. So, be interested to see how the UFC matches him. He's relatively tall and rangy for the weight, so he needs to be able to build on that. But more than anything, it's really nice to see a top Japanese male prospect coming over at the right time, which is early in their careers. He's 10-0 now, as I say, with eight finishes. Expect him to pick up a couple of losses, I would say. If he fights in the UFC five times, I could see him going three and two or something like that. But he's got a lot to work on. Be interested to see if he follows his compatriot Horiguchi over to the States and tries to hone his craft better there. He's from Okinawa and he's training out of there. 
and I think he could be he could really do with uh, expanding his horizons. But I'm gonna lie if I'm gonna tell you I'm not excited for him coming over. I wanted something like this to happen. He's been a prospect which has been uh, on my radar and and through through the diligent work of others bringing him to my attention online. And it's interesting to think that he's going to be over here soon. Bollocks of it, at least uh, it looks that way. It was uh, announced by his management team yesterday. I'm recording this on Sunday the 6th of February, if you're listening to this in the future. So yeah, really, really interested. It'll be interesting to see what he does. And I'm intrigued to see how he, how he uh, applies his style to the UFC. As I say, rough around the edges on the feet. But only does the basics, does it relatively well. Needs to shore up those naked low kicks. Um... And basically work on his hands, because quite frankly, if he if he stuns his opponent and he jumps on their back, they're fucked. So that's what I like about him. He's one of these kind of relentless uh, finishers who will desperately try and uh, advance position on the mat and should make, especially with the UFC's uh, roster at flyweight, for some interesting scrambly fights. But we're looking at the fights from last night again. I'm recording this on Sunday, February the sixth. In a second, of which there wasn't really much of interest, so I'm only going to look at a couple of them. And then we're going to wrap up the show. So, be back after this. The this being simply the intro and the same sound effect that I use to break up every section. Sorry about that. Hope I didn't lead you on to thinking something interesting was actually about to happen. Certainly little of interest in the main event between Sean Strickland and Jack Hermanson. I'll level with you. I preferred Hermanson to win going into it. Did not see any point in doing a preview last week, as I might have alluded to earlier. But Strickland, for me, just isn't very engaging as either a fighter or a personality. And I like Hermanson as a grappler. No, I said grappler, not wrestler, because, quite frankly, Hermanson's takedown attempts in, in this fight last night were abysmal. Strickland's kind of shuffled around, popping off the jab for much of the fight. And ostensibly, it was one of those bad kickboxing bouts in a cage for much of it. Uh, disappointed to watch. Not very interested in either guy going forward. And 185 comp- continues to be a completely top-heavy division. Barren in, 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 some, in some respect. For me, the main fight of interest anyway was, was not the main event. And it wasn't even so much about interesting fights but to see Shavkat Rachmanov again was the main draw of the card for me I actually thought he'd fought more in the UFC than he actually has I thought he'd had three or four fights and that the Oliveira fight was like his first step up actually that was his first fight I don't know why I'd thought that um not again not a huge step up or anything they're moving him quite slowly but he's 15 and 0 with all stoppages Fought Carlston Harris, who actually worked the opposite to Rachmanov. I thought he'd had only one fight against Impa, but he'd actually had the fight against uh, Aguilera as well, which I actually hadn't seen. Um, I looked up, it was on the undercard of a karate hottie fight, so that's probably why I didn't watch it. Uh, but Harris actually showed some decent flair as a grappler and somewhat uh, scrambly kind of guy, and he's probably too old to have any sort of potential, but... Yeah, he gave Rachmanov some sort of resistance before losing in the first round. Both kind of weird, janky guys, but Rachmanov for me uh, is quite upright, obviously, but 
I just love the way this game is put together. And the uh, spinning back kick, which ended it. And it followed up with a brutal ground and pound. I always love it when ground and pound progresses from landing to flattening someone. And that's very much how, how this happened. Um, not too much of interest in the fight, although it was nice to see Rachmanov face some sort of resistance uh, before he got the win. But really, I'm just intrigued for him as a prospect going forward. And at last, uh, just a, as an aside, uh, before I get to it, but for me, 170 has been in a was in a weird uh, place between the Hendricks and Lawler era, sort of post GSP. After that, you had the, the Woodley era, which I think was a, I think it's very much apparent now that that was a transitionary period. And quite frankly, not not the best of what 170 has to show us with the likes of Woodley, Wonderboy, Till. And then you have Kara Usman, who definitely is uh, the best of what 170 has, can show us. It appears to be nearing the end now, possibly, possibly. And finally, at last, we get some legit contenders coming through. So undefeated guys, you've got Chemaev and Rachmanov now, uh, Brady as well, who are... Some interest as prospects, of course, and quite frankly, I think that we're nearing, we are nearing a really good time for the division. I think it's just going to take someone to knock Usman off to blow it all open. I mean, could you imagine? Eighteen months down the line, you've got Chimaev and Rachmanov fighting, both undefeated for the title. I mean, you're lying to yourself if you're not excited for that happening. It'd be interesting to see how they move Rachmanov. Obviously, they're moving Chimaev at a much faster pace. Speaking of Chimaev, I'd gladly give Rachmanov someone like the Leech to fight. Oh, speaking of Chimaev, because, you know, he is one of the most interesting prospects in MMA right now, but all the footage this week of him training at Tiger Muay Thai against likes of Ishmaelov and lots of others, um, it's just fucking so exciting to see this guy at probably one of the best camps in the world right now. And to see the kind of things he's working on. Um, yeah, forgive me for making Rachmanov's moment about Chimaev, but just one of the most interesting prospects in, in the whole sport right now and perhaps across all of combat sports. And speaking about amazing prospects so across all of combat sports, the elephant in the room is that I'm not talking about the fight between Bam Rodriguez and Carlos Cuadras. I've only seen highlights of it, so it wouldn't be fair for me to try and discuss it. But needless to say, Rodriguez stepping up two weight classes on a week's notice to fight a former world champion past his prime, though he may be. Uh, a light flyweight, 22 years old, stepping up two weight classes to fight someone like Quadros and beating him uh, is, is is beyond impressive. And uh, I'm sure before long I'll be doing a podcast dedicated simply to him. So from a disappointment in boxing results to a disappointment in an MMA fight... I hope this actually hasn't been too downbeat an episode. I hope there's plenty to keep you intrigued in terms of things to watch and things that I actually did like. At least uh, things that I have touched on are interesting prospects in MMA and in boxing. Uh, as I say, Rodriguez didn't get much of a, a shout-out, but um, had to had to squeeze him in at the end there. Yeah, believe it or not, I'm not that interested in Keith Furman returning. I'm happy for him, but yeah... I'm not too interested in Firm Barrios. I haven't watched it yet. The first fight I'll be seeking out in its entirety is is that Rodriguez Quadras fight. Maybe you want to watch Tyro I spoke about earlier, who will indeed be 
uh, bolstering the UFC ranks at 125 hopefully soon. Outside of that, not sure what next week's episode is going to be. Maybe have a little look at Whitaker Adesanya too. Um, although it's hard for me to really see how that fight's going to go based on what we don't know about Whitaker's approach. But I'll try and have a look at that and the things that I think that he has been working on in his recent fights that could potentially help him not get completely wiped out like he did in their first fight. And perhaps because of that, I'll do a closet classic as well. So that's something to look forward to for next week. Until then, thanks as always for listening. This was Combat Chronicles. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus. Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.